This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, March 10th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, sandwich boards snap shut. New work of note from Warren Gilbreth. A day in the life of a miner with Finton Cole and eyes to ears with Bella Eatman. And a mountain weather forecast. But first, the National Federation of Community Broadcasters has confirmed Kodo is one of only a handful of non-commercial, non-underwritten public radio stations left in the nation. It's you, our listeners, DJs and supporters who have made that distinction possible. Help keep Kodo independent and strong by donating during our winter fund drive at koto.org. And thank you. A 3.6 magnitude earthquake hit San Juan County on Friday morning between Silverton and Rico, with rumblings and loud noise reported in Ophir. A second 2.2 earthquake hit approximately one hour later. The San Miguel County Sheriff's Office checked in with Ophir residents and report there were no injuries or damage. Walk down Main Street in Telluride, and you may see a sandwich board dotting the sidewalk. Little may you know, the existence of that advertisement in that location is illegal. Sandwich boards are actually prohibited on public property per our land use code. Um, They're not, or I'm sorry, they are only allowed on private property. That's Telluride Town Manager Scott Robson speaking at a town council meeting this week. Now, those sandwich boards... Um, have not been, frankly, enforced uh, very often for for quite a few years. So there has been confusion that may have been uh, that they may have been allowed at, at one point in time. But as of now, we have had requests from council members or various business owners over time to enforce those sandwich uh, board rules. So our code enforcement staff has been doing so recently. That enforcement, Robson notes, has led to some questions and concerns from the business community. A change in regulation for sandwich boards would require an amendment to the town's land use code. According to Ron Quarles, planning and building director for the town of Telluride, the primary concerns with sandwich boards in public rights of way are safety and access. But council member Adrian Christie wonders how a sandwich board differs from something like outdoor dining on public property. Here's an exchange between Christie and Telluride town attorney Kevin Geiger. We allow restaurants to basically purchase space on our public rights of way to have outdoor dining, which then limits the pedestrian public right of way on sidewalks. So why is that not an option that we would consider? And I know I'm not necessarily phrasing that in the totally accurate terms of legal legalese, but why, how is that different from people requesting sandwich board signs? I think outdoor dining, I don't mean to to cast one or the other in a kind of a affirmative or a disparaging way, but outdoor dining, usually the uses are clearly segregated. There's railings. There's separation between the the space that's being used for the private purpose that's in the public right away and the remaining area that's for the traverse of a pedestrian. Sandwich boards, I think inherently, and I've done some research on this, a lot of jurisdictions look at them as kind of a unique tripping or obstruction hazard. Geiger notes the town has been sued or threatened to be sued over planters or steps in the rights of way. He sees sandwich boards in the same category. I would also point out 
that they're not particularly secure. So the wins that we've had in the last week, I think would be a really good example. I saw some of this around town. The sandwich board would have flown right out. Um, and I did see that in a couple of occasions where the sandwich board, if it was if it was in that location, could not withstand the winds that are sometimes typical in a mountain environment like Telluride. I think that's why we've had that blanket prohibition. While Geiger can't say whether a lawsuit would stick, he adds, that's not the point. Whether it would amount to a known dangerous condition, I, I can't tell you. But generally, we try to avoid liability in the first place rather than fire away out of it. The majority of council is not in favor of changing language to allow sandwich boards, including council member Geneva Shawnette. I think Main Street's packed and we just recently, I don't remember how long ago it was, expanded the Hickox rule. So we've already encroached more for retail businesses and restaurants of using space outside of the building. And I think that that's enough. The Hickox rule allows retailers to put merchandise on the street as long as it's no more than two feet off the building. But council member Dan Enright doesn't see the difference. To me, I just don't view it that differently as allowing retail items on the sidewalk. We allow clothes hangers uh, with our shoe racks or whatever on the sidewalks up and down it. And any, any business is allowed to do that. And we don't see a, an excessive proliferation of businesses doing that, only businesses where it's really appropriate. Council does not intend to move forward with changing language to allow sandwich boards on public property. Robson plans to hold a roundtable discussion with businesses later this year and will include conversation on the topic. In the meantime, having a sandwich board is a game of risk for local businesses and could result in a visit from local law enforcement. Telluride Arts and the Augment Music Project have teamed up to fund area musicians in a whole range of recording and performance projects. Kodo News took the opportunity to speak with a handful of grantees about their plans and hopes. Today, we'll hear from guitarist and proprietor at Telluride Music Co. Warren Gilbreth about his new instrumental project, Earth Home Recordings. My name is Warren Gilbreth. I work at Telluride Music. I've been living in Telluride for about seven winters now. Been playing music pretty much since I got here. I've made music, I've been playing guitar since I was five years old and have been really trying to make music since about, I don't know, sixth, seventh grade. I've tried to write lyrics thousands of times and I guess I've come to the conclusion that I just don't have anything important to say. And and because of that, I think that I tend to use my guitar as my voice. Um, I play a lot of bluegrass, banjo around town, I tend to be like a hired gun for um, bands around town like uh, Emily Scott Robinson, Dirk Bentley asked me to help him out with a few uh, streams during uh, Stay at Home. Uh, the birds of play and then just kind of various side projects and now i'm focusing more on trying to do my own originals and uh, focus more on really trying to complete some of the ideas that i've come up with over the past two three ten years even
I was I was actually very shocked that I, I got funded for this project. Um, you know, I had heard that a lot of people had uh, applied, and so I just, I feel really, really lucky to um, be selected for this. I don't know, I, I, I wasn't a great student in high school and always kind of put off homework till 10 minutes before, so I feel like I've always worked better with a deadline, and now that I kind of have expectations and people, you know, have have congratulated me for it and they're all expecting something so I think that's you know the bigger motivator is not letting someone down I think it's a working title maybe I'll maybe we'll stick with earth home recordings um, my girlfriend and I just recently moved down valley into a really cool uh, earth home that was built by one of my buddies. Um, you know, floor to ceiling, everything's recycled and um, donated, and it's just a really cool space. It's an awesome area to be creative in. It's an awesome area to hang out and, and relax in, but it's just, this house is filled with, you know, a vibe and love, and I'm really excited to kind of dig into, you know, what that space kind of tells me. That was Warren Gilbreth discussing his upcoming project. You can find Gilbreth at the Telluride Music Co., as well as performing in various bands around town. His music will soon be available on Spotify and a variety of other platforms. Lacrosse season is kicking off, and Telluride High School's Finton Cole is covering it both on and off the field. In this installment of A Day in the Life of a Minor, Cole speaks with lacrosse coach Daniel Davenport. This is Finton Cole on your sports update. We have Danielle Davenport on the mic with us today. Mr. Davenport, how long have you been assisting on sports teams? I've been assisting on sports teams here in Telluride, Colorado since 2016. What will you expect from the lacrosse team this year? I expect a lot of winning. And by winning, what I mean is making good men out of each and every one of you. Uh, that also goes for the score on the field. But despite whether we win or lose, I think if we learn how to work together become better people, and learn how to become better citizens of the community. And if I can make each and every one of you just 1% better, then my job as a coach is done. When did you become a paraprofessional? I started substituting here in the fall of 2021. And it was to see whether I would like teaching or not, because it was always something I wanted to do. And so originally what I went to college for, uh, but wound up majoring in another profession. However, Pretty much the first day I realized it's what I wanted to do. And so I was offered a full-time position last summer and started in August, on August 23rd of 2022. What made you decide to pursue a career in special education? So growing up as a kid, I had severe ADHD. Uh, in fact, I had to start taking medication for it at the age of four. And luckily, with advancements in 
cognitive and functional research and training, we have new measures in which we can work and conduct with students. Um, being someone who st uh, struggled educationally, uh, I always made good grades, but I had a lot of behavioral issues because I couldn't sit still and I was hyper. Um, I always wanted to figure out how I could be a part of the solution instead of the continued problem. And so for me, it just seemed like such a natural fit to be able to come in and do something to help others because I have the empathy and understand where a lot of the students are coming from. And so I just thought that it seemed like a natural progression to move into that uh, so that I could make a difference in this community and in the world. Why are the Carolina Panthers your favorite NFL team? So I was born in Greensboro, North Carolina, and the Carolina Panthers came around in 1996. And prior to that, there was no team in North Carolina. The closest teams were either the Atlanta Falcons, the Washington Commanders, or one of those silly teams in Florida. And I didn't really like any of them. Uh, so when the Carolina Panthers were brought to North Carolina, when they even started talking about it, I was immediately on board. Thank you, Mr. Davenport, for your time to chat with us. I'm Fenton Cole, reporting live from Tolerad High School, and we'll see you next week. This week, Eyes to Ears is taking an arboreal view. Telluride High School's Bella Eatman shares the story of a spruce and an aspen. Have a listen. Good evening once again. Welcome to the Kodo segment known as Eyes to Ears. This is a segment where I, Bella Eatman, describe paintings I find in local art galleries. A couple of weeks back, I was recommended to stop by the Mix Art Gallery to look at a specific artist's paintings. Her name was Meredith Nemirov, I believe. And the painting that intrigued me most was known as the Spruce and Aspen. Front and nearly center to the right is an aspen tree. The branches we see climbing up the dusty cream-colored trunk are broken after growing an inch or three, leaving a stumpish appearance. One of its longest observable branches shies away and peeks out from behind the trunk. And despite the tree itself being quite alive, the branches are charcoal black. It could possibly be as fragile as a stick of charcoal, too. Classic aspen eyes surround the bark of the tr trunk, watching the world around it, and their dark, dark gray outlines almost serve as wrinkles in the bark itself. Lime green leaves dangle from the branches off canvas, seemingly like the roommate you have in the top bunk bed, hanging upside down to wave as you observe. Dots of sky blue shine through the gaps in the leaves, almost barely noticeable, if it weren't for the fact that the rest of the painting is in earthly tones. And behind the skinny aspen stands its friend, the spruce. This pine tree could take up 80% of the canvas if it weren't for the aspen. The little amount of trunk we see is patchy in different shades of brown and mostly is wrapped by its spiky green arms. 
Despite its greenery being known as its sharp pine needles, the pattern makes the, uh, the branches appear to be covered in a fuzzy, grayish-green tinsel. And you know how in the spring, when the pines shut off these little orange-brown soft pine cones, usually to grow out the branches just a bit more? That's probably not the right term that I'm thinking of. However, it is the only way I can explain the little dots of orange sprinkled on the edges of the tree branches. Perhaps this was painted in the spring or summer. Thank you for tuning in, listeners. I know I've been gone for quite some time, and I apologize for it. I'm sure that you've all noticed the absolute abundance of blizzards and snowstorms. Even we, the students, should probably take note that we had two Wednesdays in a row that were snow days. However, I do hope that this was still an enjoyable episode after the amazing insanity that was interviewing Molly Perel. I'll just say here, that was an amazing experience. You probably couldn't tell because of our amazing editors over at Kodo, but I was nearly bouncing off of the walls in excitement all throughout Molly's visit, before, during, and after the recording session. And this is not the last interview we will do either. I don't know who to interview or when, but it will happen. Either way, for the Spruce and Aspen, while I was at the Mix Art Gallery and deciding what painting I wanted to talk about, I noticed that the dating for some of these paintings dated back years. I'd look at the info on these pieces and see some from 2016 and even 2005. Anyway, this episode has been far too long. Stay safe, everyone, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Last session, Congress passed both the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act and the Inflation Reduction Act. These bills set aside an unprecedented amount of funding for projects focusing on clean energy and infrastructure upgrades. What began high in the halls of Washington, D.C. will now trickle down through state and county governments across America. Region 10, a nonprofit working with six counties in southwest Colorado, including San Miguel County, is helping area communities get a piece of the funding pie. Michelle Haynes, director of Region 10, says accessing the money is all about applying for federal grants. But we'll be helping communities understand how to access grant funds, how you put together a grant application, hand-holding, if you will, through the process, both of obtaining the grant and also the follow-up for the grant. But we're not planning to do the direct grant writing on that, but are going to be looking for grant writers that would be available to the communities. Haynes says Colorado has named certain focus areas for the federal money. The state priorities are in broadband, uh, water, all kinds of water treatment, obtaining it, sources, transportation, disaster preparedness and resiliency, and energy affordability, efficiency, and improving access to clean energy. So we think those are going to align well with um, the counties, if not the region's priorities. Region 10 has set aside funding to hire a staff position to lead the grant writing push here in southwest Colorado. Then some of the money from the once-in-a-generation funding package 
could be put to work in San Miguel County. It's time to spring forward, as Daylight Savings Time begins on Sunday, March 12th. Officially occurring at 2 a.m. on Sunday, don't forget to reset your clocks an hour earlier. Daylight Savings Time will extend sunlight further into the evening hours and preserve some of the early morning darkness. Once the snow clouds clear, the longer evening light is a sure sign of spring. Democratic lawmakers announced new efforts to protect access to abortions and gender-affirming care on Thursday. As KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reports, they include a package of three bills. One of the bills would add protections for out-of-state patients seeking reproductive health care or gender-affirming care in Colorado. It would also protect their providers from interstate prosecution by states that have criminalized those treatments. Bill sponsor Senator Julie Gonzalez says this bill is about making sure people can get the health care they need. I don't care what other states are doing in, in, in their race to the bottom on how they, attract how they attack trans people or how they attack people who seek or provide abortion care. In Colorado, we got your back. Another bill would outlaw deceptive advertising from crisis pregnancy centers and block them from offering unproven abortion reversal medications. A third bill wants to streamline insurance coverage for abortions and sexually transmitted infections. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the state capitol. Republican U.S. Representative Lauren Boebert of Silt spoke to constituents in a phone town hall on Wednesday. As Aspen Public Radio's Caroline Yanis reports for Rocky Mountain Community Radio, she's introducing more new legislation in Congress. Boebert touched on many familiar themes with the constituents who called in. The, quote, invasion of the U.S.'s southern border, the impeachment of Joe Biden, and what she sees as democratic mismanagement in Congress. But she also touched on a topic that's come up a lot recently here in our region, the gray wolf. The Trust the Science Act which will protect farmers and ranchers by delisting the gray wolf from the endangered species list. The gray wolf is protected in Colorado, which means that ranchers cannot shoot or kill wolves, regardless of whether it's attacked livestock and regardless of its federal status. As part of Colorado's wolf reintroduction process, some officials have called for the implementation of the 10-J rule, which would allow these livestock producers to treat wolves as threatened rather than endangered. That would put shooting wolves back on the table. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Caroline Yanez. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers, possibly changing to rain overnight tonight, with a low around 35 degrees. Saturday calls for snow and breezy conditions with a high near 40, and Saturday night calls for snow with a low near 25 degrees. Sunday should see snow showers again with a high near 40, and Sunday night calls for snow showers tapering off with a low near 20 degrees. This has been the news for Friday, March 10th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. We would like to thank everyone who has donated to Kodo during our winter fund drive. A huge thank you to Crystal Adams, Patricia McIntosh, Mike Bordonia, Robin and Jeff Hope, Eliza Gavin, John Foote, Kevin Strong, Tara Carter and Warren Gilbreth, Michael Saftler, John Welch Jr., Augusta Vatter. 
Marilyn and Dave Aldrich, Todd Hopgood, Shane Matthews, Ashley Parrish, Jill and Robbie O'Dell, Gray Rembert, Steve Steinberg and Lucy Lerner, Carson and Hillary Taylor, Yvonne and John Mosser, Deborah Newmeyer, Drury Penn Sr., Tom Richards, Wendy and Alan Solomon, Sarah and Morgan Lavender Smith, Chris Kwasniewski, Cynthia Kilgore, Peter Krause, Jarob and Katie Carter, Jeffrey and Wynn Jones, Jason Hartman, and Angela Hazelwood. Thank you all so much.